Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. So welcome to another episode. Today we are exploring a really interesting enterprise that is a B Corp and you know how the podcast has given voice to B Corps. In the past, we had Ecotulibrium and others, and then a B Corp that is focusing on impact in Africa, especially solving issues regarding the consumption and how people, they can cook. Let us go and find out with Judith Joan Walker, who is the Chief Operating Officer of African Clean Energy. So thank you, Judith, for being here. I'm really curious to see cooking B Corp, how is it? But before that, can you explain a bit how Judith has become at the helm of one of the best B Corp in the world and which is your sustainability journey? Hi, Samuel. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It is a pleasure. Yes, you, you promoted me in your introduction. I'm the COO of African Clean Energy, uh, and I have uh, been working with ACE since 2014. Uh, when I joined my brother. So it's actually interesting. I work together with my brother. He is the CEO and I am the COO. And in terms of the sustainability journey, I knew about the problem of energy access and cooking because my parents were living in Lesotho. And we saw firsthand that when people are reliant on biomass for all of their energy needs, when they don't have access to electricity, when they don't have access to uh, improved cooking solutions, that it can be hugely detrimental. You would see it driving through the country, smoke billowing out of the windows of these houses. uh, And we would think that can't be good. So that's sort of where it started was seeing firsthand with like, that's, that doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right that we have the technology and the solutions in the world, but that they don't seem evenly distributed. Um, And of course, in every context, different solutions are applicable, but we really thought, hey, the technology must exist. So I joined my brother in 2014. I actually have a background uh, working in film. I was looking to become a film producer. And he said, why don't you come and help me with this campaign? Because we really need to raise a little bit of awareness around this. uh, And we wanted to launch our own product, the ACE-1. Uh, And the ACE-1 is a hybrid solution. So it has both the capability to burn any biomass without smoke uh, and it has solar electricity. So that there's an important reason for both, which I'm sure we'll get into. But that was my entry into sustainability. I really like also the experience, people that work and seeing the problems firsthand, then they came out with solutions. It's also in the entrepreneurship. So let us dig a bit deeper. You know, what is the problem that you are trying to solve you have just given some hints and then of course you have mentioned the the solution which is a a very innovative one yeah it's good that you're asking so a lot of people are not that aware of the scale of the problem but around a third of the world if not more still relies on biomass as their main source of energy and a lot of us when we think about energy we're actually thinking about electricity right my light switch click click and my kettle and my microwave and these different things, but some of those are thermal energy. So heating things up takes a lot of energy to achieve. 
And so where an LED light bulb can be powered with a bicycle dynamo, if you want to boil a kettle of water, you need significantly more energy. And in a lot of the regions where we operate, there simply isn't the electrical capacity to meet that energy need. In fact, I live in Amsterdam. That's where I'm, I'm based from. And even I cook on gas because if everybody in Amsterdam was cooking on electricity, the grid wouldn't be able to handle it, right? So first of all, there's a lot of confusion around that. So a third of the world still relies on biomass. So that's wood and agricultural waste and sometimes things like cow dung and they burn them. And if you burn this to cook on it, it's very dependent what tool you're using, how efficiently you're burning. And that goes anywhere from literally an open fire, like a bonfire, a campfire, right? All the way through to solutions like ours, where you're fully combusting the biomass. So you do have to have a little bit of an understanding of what is fire. So we have fuel, heat, and oxygen. And if that mix is perfect, then you don't get smoke because smoke is just unburnt biomass. You don't get that particulate matter that is so bad for health and all of these different things. We're talking about the efficiency of burning biomass, right? That's what we're really improving here. And then there's access to electricity for phone charging and LED lighting and things that also uh, is lacking and, and creates a huge sort of gap in access for the households that we're looking to address. So what does this contribute to? I mean, outside of just absolute environmental disaster. So we're talking tons and tons and tons of CO2 because of inefficient biomass use, we're talking really rapid deforestation rates, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, one of the leading causes of deforestation is household energy use, but also around 4 million people a year die from household air pollution, breathing in the particulate matter of unburnt biomass fuels. It ties people to a cycle of poverty. Believe it or not, if you have very little energy access, it's very expensive. So if you're walking to the shop to charge your phone or you have to buy candles or paraffin or batteries, these things add up to a huge percentage of overall income. And we're talking, you know, 25 to 50% of the household income is being spent on energy, which is insane. Imagine if our bill here in Amsterdam, if my bill was half of my income was energy, that would be insanity. So poverty and health and environment, but also just disproportionately affecting women and girls because responsibility of gathering fuel tends to fall on them. The responsibility of cooking tends to fall on them. There is a very long list of very negative impacts just around insufficient access to energy and electricity. Thank you so much, Jude. You know, when you were talking, I recall my experiences going around in Kenya, entering the house with the so-called three stones and the smokes, and sometimes you, your eyes can start burning and you start choking. And this is the experience that especially women and girls also every day they have to suffer. And the what is called a time poverty. The people, they have to go and walk for longer distances. And of course, the anthropic pressure to the forest. It's a very strong case, which is sometimes is often overlooked for people that are listening to it, maybe in the, let's call Western world or developed world, but it is crucial and especially also for the carbon emissions. So now looking at this problem, you brought this new solution that you have mentioned. A burner, a solar, 
can you explain a bit? Because I'm very curious to see how you're trying to solve this problem in an holistic way. Absolutely. So our solution is called the ACE-1. And in fact, we've gone a step beyond the ACE-1, the hardware alone. And we're now looking at ACE Connect, which is also a variety of digital tools, customer service, fuel delivery, various things to really improve access to energy, right? It has to be holistic. Often we think we will solve things with just the hardware, the technology. That is not the case. All the pieces have to fit. You know, we've been doing this at ACE for 11 years. We distribute direct to customers. So we know it isn't just a product. You're not just selling hardware here, but the hardware is important. So we started with the ACE one. Essentially, it's a cook stove. It's a forced draft. And what that means is that it has a fan, a ventilator that pushes a flow of air constantly into the fire. And you can imagine if you've ever seen an open hearth or if you've had to fan a barbecue or fan a fire to get it started, adding more of that oxygen, as I said, fuel, heat, and oxygen, adding more oxygen makes it burn more efficiently. And if you get the right balance, it burns incredibly efficiently. Too much, you and blow it out, too little, and it burns very badly, right? So what we did is the idea behind a force draft is that you have the exact right airflow constantly going into, we have a ceramic burning chamber because it retains the heat. It means that things are combusting very quickly when it enters the burning chamber and then combusting completely. So then you don't have that smoke. You have significantly less particulate matter that is being released. And these are really important things when we're talking about the use of biomass for energy, right? The main idea was we have to have something that works anywhere that burns the right kind of biomass, so dry biomass, hopefully waste biomass and not a, you know, a, a big old chop tree, but small pieces effectively, and very, very efficiently, that it is a pleasure to use, that it works anywhere, that it is affordable, you know, SDG seven is the affordable and clean energy, right? And uh, I think that is often ignored. So how do we balance this technology versus affordability when we're looking to address quite a population that really doesn't have a lot of disposable income? And this is where I say the hardware is only one piece of it. It has to be very clean. If it's going to work everywhere, it needs to use solar electricity because people don't have access to electricity. If we need it to be very clean, it has to have forced draft. To have forced draft, you have to have electricity. It was all very chicken and egg in the beginning to try and figure out, oh, in which order do we do these things? Our product is a multi-fuel product, so you can burn almost anything. We did that specifically because the fuel supply chains don't necessarily exist. Uh, people may or may not be able to afford to buy things like pellets and briquettes, which are excellent sustainably produced fuels, right? And we should be transitioning people away from things like charcoal, which are very hazardous, towards pellets and briquettes and things that are produced locally. And we are, we're doing that. But those supply chains didn't exist and still don't fully exist. And what you don't want to do is have a whole group of customers that don't have a lot of disposable income spend a portion of that income on something they can't use because the fuel's not available, right? Imagine you have your Nespresso machine, but you cannot buy any pods or you have your, these things are very frustrating. So we made something that was multi-fuel and that was our starting point. And we thought, well, if we have to have a solar panel so that we can have the cook stove work effectively, why not add some USB ports, add an LED light so that we solve lighting and cooking and heating and charging your phone all together. It makes it very appealing. Historically, there's been very little investment into the clean cooking sector, as it's called, because 
it's a difficult business case to make, right? You have relatively expensive hardware and there's a lot of impact, but you tend to have quite poor customers. They tend to be bigger products to distribute, so more expensive to distribute. By linking it to the electricity, right? Electricity is expensive. As I said, people are spending up to 25% of their income on even things like candles and batteries, right? So that is how we linked a really solid business case to a really solid impact case. And again, by following that up with all the right services. So we're talking fuel delivery, which is a recurring revenue stream. We're looking at monetizing externalities. So, you know, this impact that is being created is worth something to many people, especially if you look at carbon offsets, right? How do we those additional revenue streams to work on that affordability part, right? Because the quality, we have to maintain the high quality because otherwise you don't achieve the impact. If it doesn't work, if it breaks, if it's not nice to use, if, if it doesn't burn efficiently, right? You lose all of the impact that you're generating. So by being a mission-driven company, we had to have all of those pieces aligned. I like your passion. I mean, you can see we had the several startups and entrepreneurs that are driven by passion and making an impact. And we will discuss also the case and the work you are doing because it's really impactful. Let me ask you, you know, and which is your business model? You have discussed about, of course, the offsetting, and then you have preempted one of the questions that was coming to my mind and others. What is the, the model? How let us say a farmer can access this. What is your, of course, the benefit and the impact to the farmer? And of course, how you can maintain the profit to sustain your enterprise? It's a very good question. And it's one that's been in development for 11 years, right? I mean, this is the thing. It takes time to develop. We thought, you know, if you make the best hardware in the world, it will sell itself. Not so. We went from hardware to hardware and distribution to hardware distribution and pre-financing etc. Essentially what we do now, we have in-house sales teams or partners, but generally it's our own in-house teams. They demo the product, they show clients, they decide for themselves whether they want to purchase or not. It is available on a credit contract. The device can be activated and we do in many areas as pay as you go. So essentially when you make a payment, it adds time to the usage. If you don't make the payment, then it switches off. We've integrated digital technology essentially for loan management and making this accessible to even the most high-risk customers to lend to. Um, so they sign a credit contract, they're able to purchase it and pay it off, you know, 10 to 18 months actually is the length of time. And we also make sure that there's maintenance services available. We're looking at fuel delivery. So making sure that we do start to provide those supply chains of sustainable locally produced biomass fuels. If anything goes wrong, we have to fix it, of course. All of those different elements to make it essentially energy as a service. That is how we interact with our customers. And what's important is it is exceptionally difficult to have a scaling business on hardware alone. And that's why I mentioned the need for things like recurring revenue streams. And that's where the fuels come in. Now, of course, again, the challenge there, making it incredibly accessible and affordable to the end user. So biomass fuels that are very affordable and accessible to the end user. And we're looking at a recurring revenue uh, when we look at carbon offsets. And the nice thing about the carbon offsets is it's really the only revenue stream that isn't coming directly from the end user. So you say, what model and how do you make sure that you're maintaining that level of impact? 
What I love about what we've built in our model is we're only measuring and monetizing carbon offsets based on actual usage of the customer. So if they stop using it, and we can measure this, right? With the digital technology, we have a microprocessor in the product. It's linked with a smartphone. So it's essentially internet of things, right? We can measure actual usage. And if they stop using it, we also stop measuring carbon offsets. And the reason why this is, is so important is a lot of the difficulty in the distribution is how do you keep the end user central if they aren't the ones paying for it? And we see that with development work. We see that with heavily subsidized products that you start to have to cater to the funder as opposed to the end user, right? This is the nature of the world. You have to keep the person who's paying happiest because they're paying for it. What I love about our model is not only have we historically kept a customer central by yes, making it affordable, credit and microfinance, et cetera, but keeping them be the main source of revenue. Now with this external source of revenue, we're still keeping them central because if they don't use it, we won't generate that source of revenue either. And it's super, super important because as a mission-driven company, you know, even um, as we scale and grow, it becomes more and more difficult to totally align to your own mission, right? And by having modeled it this way, not only will every carbon buyer appreciate that this is an already generated offset, we have super transparency, data, everything to back it up, right? But also we're keeping our customer central. If it doesn't work, so it's broken, they need maintenance, it's in our best interest to fix it as quick as possible because not using it means not offsetting carbon. It means that you're resorting, you're reverting back to old methods, right? So if something breaks down and then you start using charcoal again, then all of our progress is kind of brought back to zero, right? So this is how we keep the customer, the end user, absolutely central. And it's how we've totally aligned our impact and our mission to the business model. And that's something that I'm super proud of. It's really interesting. I've seen, I think a lot in my experience and even me, I know how this uh, gold standard, carbon credit and with stove. And I think what you say that I really like the points, you know, where the money is, you have to please. And sometimes I've seen a lot of projects that were pegged by a ton of investment for the investors rather than looking at the end user. And this is really in price of carbon and all discussion. This thing, your, your point and how you also you're putting the user that is also a vulnerable person because we are talking about communities in area, disadvantaged area and rural area, which has to impact their life and change their life. Before going to maybe the broader business and discussing, you know, have you integrated this mission broadly to go and looking more with your beneficiaries and asking which impact story if you have or which impacts you have done so far in which country, because we have not discussed which countries have, have you targeted in your work, because so that we have a bit of geography and of course also the impact stories of the ACE one. Sure. I mean, in terms of geographies, we started in Lesotho. That's also where the company was founded. Uh, that's where our flagship factory still is. Um, and we've now expanded also to Uganda, Kenya, and Cambodia, and we have a partner in Mozambique. 
We're actually building a factory in Uganda. We now also have a factory in Cambodia. We love manufacturing locally. We love job creation. We, there's a, a lot of reasons to build our model around that way. So very excited about that. And in terms of impact, I mean, this differs per end user, of course, because it depends on what their baseline was. Did they have access to electricity? Did they not have access? electricity? Were they using charcoal? Were they using open fire? How far a walk was it to town to buy paraffin or candles, right? For everybody, it is different. We do energy surveys at baseline and we do energy surveys follow up. So after three, six, nine, 12 months, it differs per customer. It's sort of, we do it in batches. And we saw, for example, that in Lesotho, we saved on average for our customers 83% of their previous energy expenses. So that's a reduction of 83%. The fantastic thing about that is that when you then look at the repayments that they're making to us, they're saving money from the moment they own it. Because if you're reducing their costs by 83% from the moment they have it, the product's paying for itself and you have money left over. So even when you're paying it off over time, essentially it's paid for itself before the loan is even finished paying, right? That's really exciting. That's what we mean by making it affordable is that that balance has to be right. We also saw that, I think it was 96% plus of customers that were buying paraffin stopped buying paraffin, which is quite a dirty fuel. It's quite an expensive fuel. Lots of fires are caused by paraffin. There's lots of accidents with children accidentally drinking paraffin because it's a clear liquid. It's often resold in plastic water or Coca-Cola bottles, right? Lots and lots of issues. No one's a real fan. Love seeing that such a high percentage completely stopped purchasing it after they had a better alternative for lighting and heating because it's also often used for heating in Lesotho. Yeah, I mean, that's just some examples of the impact I get excited about. No, that is really interesting and important. You know, those kind of impact are very high. I've witnessed this, you know, if you solve the energy problem in a holistic way, especially at the household level, especially for vulnerable community, you really make an impact. And um, and I can imagine, I can I trust you because I've also seen in some other intervention and intervention I did, it's really one of the most crucial area where you can impact communities and save lives, especially the mention the paraffin. Not just lives, because I have to point out something that I wanted to mention earlier is uh, disability affected life years. So this is a metric that I believe the World Bank also uses. Essentially, it's not just whether you live or die, it's how sick are you and how happy are you and their quality of life, right? So one of the really, one of the reasons I think that that people largely ignore this as an issue is it's not about acute illness, right? It's long-term lung and heart and eye health. So it isn't as immediate or as tangible as things like malaria or the like, right? But the fact is, you know, this issue Household air pollution has been attributed combined, as I said, over 4 million deaths a year, which is more than HIV, malaria, and TB combined. But if you were to compare the level of investment made into each, I think it would be really quite shocking to see the difference. And I'm not saying don't invest in those things. Oh my goodness, no, so important, absolutely vital. And I do think you know, everybody has the right to medication and healthcare. And in fact, I think it should be, well, affordable, if not free for everybody. Uh, the fact is, this is largely ignored because it's not acute. 
And even if it only ruins your life, what is the measurement for just ruining your life because you have severe COPD or you have severe cataracts because you constantly had smoke in your eyes? You know, there's all sorts of things that are linked to this. And it isn't just lives, it's also quality of life. And I think that is also something that everybody deserves. I totally agree. Judith, you have used the perfect words. It's really an analytic intervention. And even if you see the social cost of having girls uh, and women walking for kilometers with a load of wood in their head, rather than going to school, it's a simple, let us say, technology, but solves a lot of problems. So it's really a commendable work that you are doing and, and, and a practical solution for transforming lives. And going to transformation and impact, you know, I think you got a step ahead, you know, in your, let's just say, more than a decade journey. And you wanted also to show the world how and you have your impact and the way you are a mission-driven, a purpose-driven company. And therefore, you have decided to be a B Corp. And I can say one of the most successful, I mean, one of the best for the world. Can you explain a bit why have you decided to certify, which were the motivation that uh, behind that move? I have to say it's interesting because um, you mentioned earlier that some companies are born a B Corp, right? We went through certification, we've certified, we've recertified. In fact, we increased by over 30 points in our recertification. Um, The reason that I, and I did this myself, so I say I, but as a company, the reason I did it is because it's so well aligned with what we believe as a company and have always believed in a company, right? Is that uh, we want to be proud of the kind of business that we are. I remember my brother used to say very, very early days, he says, one day we're going to be a really big deal. And then a journalist is going to throw a microphone in your face and ask you a difficult question. I always want us to be able to give the 100% the truth and be proud of it and defend it, right? Everything we do, we will do in a way that we would be proud to defend. And that is so in line with B Corp because it's business the way that we think business should be done. And it's not just about a stamp And it's not just about having a sustainability department or somebody who's doing an assessment or like measuring everything. It's not just that. It's being an example of you don't have to do good or do well. You're allowed to do good to do well, right? You can build a business based on a mission, based on the things that you want to do. And you can run that business in a way that makes you feel great to be a part of it. And that's what we try to do. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect all the time. And it doesn't mean we can achieve everything we want to achieve. There's a lot of things on my roadmap that I want to do that we need a little bit more financing, or we need a few more people, or, you know, there's all sorts of things. Like it's it's so difficult to run a business full stop, right? It's just difficult. It's difficult to start up, scale up. It's difficult to run a business. The key thing and the reason why we want to be a B Corp and why we're proud of that and I think why we do so well in the scoring system is at every level we stop and think how do we do this in a way that we can be proud of it how do we do this in the best way that we can afford to do now or the best way that we can be done sometimes things cost a little more but you make that decision it's in our statutes of the company as well that you take all stakeholders into account when you make major decisions You don't think only about the money. You don't think only about yourself. You think about your employees and your customers and everybody that is involved in your value chain because at the end of the day, it affects all of those people. And 
yeah, as I say, nobody's perfect. Nobody gets it all perfect. The right, like instantly the goal here is to keep improving and to keep getting better. I like recertifying a lot when I get 30 additional points, but I like recertifying because it realigns you to, oh, we haven't thought about that in a while, or, oh, we should, we were going to improve that. And, you know, maybe we did, maybe we didn't, or how do we implement that so that we are you know, tracking our own carbon footprint? How do we implement that so that we have better HR policies? Like it just reminds you to think about all those details and make the decisions that make you proud. Thank you so much, Judith. You've done a very good business case for the B Corp certification. And it's not a badge of honor, just a badge, but it's really has changed given the practices and the processes. And I want to ask you, which are the benefits that you have seen for being a B Corp in your experience? Interesting for me, I think the greatest benefit is that when I say to someone that we're, you know, the highest scoring B Corp in Europe, we're second in the world, they know what that means. That means that we do look at every level of the company. It means somebody else has audited us on that. And I tell you, they audited us on that. My goodness, they were diligent. I had two full-time business analysts going through, I think normally they say, oh, we'll maybe do like 18, 20% of the, we went through like 85% of the questions to verify all of them. And the ones that weren't, it's because either there's no documentation necessary. It's just a matter of fact, but anyway, my goodness, they are diligent. The best thing about it for me really is that I can say with, you know, just one sentence, what it means for us as a business. And you do have people who have done the assessment or people who have looked in depth at the assessment or looked at, you know, what all those questions are. When you say, oh, we're a B Corp, they're like, wow. And then you say, oh, well, we're the highest scoring B Corp in Europe. They go, how? Basically, <laughs> then they want to know how. <laughs> but I think for me, the easiest way for me to tell people what kind of business we are is by saying we're a B Corp. Because if they've heard of it and they understand what that means, they know how much work goes into ensuring that we do things the way we think that it, business should be done. It is a constant. All the big corp we have discussed, I mean, there's, it's not an easy path. It is a rail that it, it gives you also the way you, you structure yourself. And it's true that uh, when you say to somebody, uh, I'm a big corp, uh, it shifts your mind and you are unsure that this is a business that is mission driven as a purpose and as an impact. And wow, an 85% of questions, I mean, it's something that reminds me of another episode we did before and it was with another B Corp that had very high scores. And they say when they saw the high score, they came and they audit almost everything because it's really, you see, the, the seriousness. I want to ask you, you know, now we are approaching the end of it. What is the way forward now? for African clean energy? Where do you want to take? I know you're a passionate woman and then you can see the passion that you put there. What is your objective for the future? I'm actually so much more excited about what we're about to work on than even everything we've achieved already, which maybe is also a little bit indicative of me and how I get excited about the next thing and the next thing. We have basically now built ourselves a model and the systems and the digital technology to really measure our impact very effectively and monetize it, right? And I'm very excited about that because it aligns everybody in the business to the mission. We actually have like the one metric that matters in our company. We're transitioning to that one metric that matters. And I'm talking like, I want to report this as the first thing in even our annual financial reporting is the carbon offsets that we've achieved. Because 
everybody working in the whole chain is working towards that, right? If you make the product and you're making it perfectly, then it works well. If you're fixing it for someone, then they can use it again. If you sell it to them, then they get access to it. If you're financing it, for, right? Every piece of our company is working towards the same thing. The reason we use that as the one metric that matters is if we're generating carbon offsets, it's because we have happy customers who are using their product because we're not twisting anyone's arm, right? They have to decide for themselves. They're paying for it themselves. The service and everything around it has to work. This is a market-based approach. We are not giving them away. You know, this is not a charity. And so if we're achieving impact, it's because people are choosing to use our products, which means we have happy customers using our products, right? That's what I love about what we're doing in the next step. We're using digital technologies that are currently being applied in the Western markets for, you know, a chauffeur or for food delivery or for your groceries. These things that create, I would say, convenience and sometimes too much convenience, right? That create this convenience in our life. And we're applying that technology to something that's absolutely crucial which is access to energy, sufficient access to energy in developing countries. I get very excited about that, right? The fact that we're now at the stage where we've gone far beyond just the hardware and it really is becoming energy as a service and it really is data-driven, focused on the end user. Those things, that's what I get very excited about. That's what our next step is. So that's what we're sort of rolling out and testing and building now is those digital technologies, you know, customer-facing app, incentive programs, fuel deliveries. Those are the things that we're working on. And I think that completes the picture for this mission that we have. That's what I get really excited about. It feels like we've been preparing for this for 11 years and now we're doing it. So the snowball effect is now. You're just now going for it. I can see the passion and uh, you're not a charity and you have happy customer and you are making the case for profit and doing good which is sometimes it has not been the case in the past. So it's really interesting, your model. Final question for you, you Judith, you are a passionate leader. You are a young woman that is trying to address serious problems and especially at the bottom of the pyramid. Which is the, the final message you want to give to our audience? Oh, I wasn't expecting this question. Um, look, I have always treated our path this way and I think it helps others. I always say, do not assume that others know better than you or can do better. I think a lot of people think, oh, no, I couldn't do that. That, oh, no, I'm not an expert on that or whatever. Do you know what? If you have access to the internet, you can be an expert on almost anything. A lot of what we do is learn by doing, get out there, do something that you're passionate about, do it the right way. I think it's absolutely possible to do good and do well. Don't forget who you're focused on. Like, who are you trying to help? I just think a lot of people don't try because they're afraid to fail or afraid that, you know, they don't know enough or they don't have the skill set or whatever. I came from the film industry and I went into sustainable energy and we've been doing this for years. And I would, again, we're the highest scoring B Corp in Europe, right? Like we've made it this far. I just really encourage people to go for it. Look for the kind of company that we are. Be proud of what you do. I think there's too much focus on 
like, I, and, and I think when you focus too much on this, it's also not going to happen for you. There's too much focus on like, I just need to make money and I need to do this thing. And this is the pathway that I need to follow. And it stops people from doing things that they're really passionate about. Don't assume that others know better or know more or just go and do something that you are really passionate about. As you have done, because I can see the passion that is transpiring for your warding and the way you talk, it's, we can see you are a testimony of 11 years of work and I'm happy now to see this, as I said before, the snowball effect now, the results are coming. I'm sure we will get a follow-up maybe in one year as we discuss with others to see how far you have gone and how the ACE is transforming even more lives in other countries. And I want to thank you for your time and for your passion and it's always been a real pleasure to have having you. Thank you, Judy. Thank you so much. Would love that. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.